This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Historically, traditional treatment for malignancy has included surgery, radiation therapy, and chemotherapy. While these treatments have proven effective in many patients, not all have a malignancy responsive to these treatments and Many suffer adverse effects or known complications from these therapies. Regenerative immunotherapy is a form of cancer treatment that uses the power of our own immune system to treat malignancy. It may take a variety of forms, targeted antibodies, cancer vaccines, or tumor infecting viruses to name a few. Some immunotherapy treatments use genetic engineering to enhance our immune cells cancer fighting properties and can often be used in combination with the more traditional treatments. Regenerative immunotherapy has been approved in the United States by the FDI as a treatment of multiple cancers and may also be an effective form of treatment for patients with malignancies that have been somewhat resistant to more traditional therapy. With us today to discuss regenerative immunotherapy is Dr. Saad Kandarian, a hematologist at the Mayo Clinic. Saad, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. Well, why don't we start by asking you to describe the relationship between cancer and our immune system? How do they interact? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a a question that my patients ask all the time. The reality is that cancer to develop, it has to escape the immune system, a process that immunologists refer to as immune tolerance. You know, normally our immune system does not recognize our own antigen, our own body, so that we don't get autoimmune diseases. And during evolution, cancer acquires that tolerance and escape the immune system. And that's one of the principles of cancer um, development. There are several ways that cancer can escape the immune system. There is what the immunologists call peripheral tolerance related to the immune cells in the body, and there is central tolerance that's related to the thymus um, during development. So how do we use our immune system to treat malignancy? The concept of using immune therapy, using our own immune system to treat malignancy is really old. And if you think of it, there are two large categories. In one category that you use antibodies or small molecules or viruses to stimulate our own immune cells and get them to recognize cancer cells. And some of these antibodies have been quite effective and FDA approved. That is one category, if you like. The other category is taking the immune cells and engineering them in the lab to make them recognize cancer. In essence, you do two things, taking the immune cells that have failed to recognize cancer that are not as active, and you stimulate them to become more active and engineer them to recognize cancer and then give them back. And that's the field that is adoptive cell therapy or engineered um, cell therapy. All right. So how long has immunotherapy been used as a treatment for cancer? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's um, the concept of immune therapy was first used in the 1900s 
at that time, which was referred to as coli's toxins. Basically, what we're doing is that they were using bacteria, injecting bacteria, trying to stimulate the immune system to fight the bacteria. And in the hope that as the immune system is stimulated, that it fight cancer cells. And there were a few cases where that approach helped to treat cancer. But really, you know, the concept of immune therapy was developed first in the 1950s, 60s, 70s with the bone marrow transplant. Bone marrow transplant has been used and continues to be used for patients with leukemia and lymphoma. And with bone marrow transplant, I often tell my patients is that it's not really a bone marrow transplant. If I have leukemia and you're going to give me your bone marrow, in essence, you're giving me your immune cells. So I take your bone marrow that's going to populate in my body and becomes my own immune system. Your immune system is going to be populated in my body. And I'm going to rely on your immune system to fight my leukemia or lymphoma. But that comes as the toxicity because your immune system is fighting my own body. And because of that, the process of bone marrow transplant has high um, risk and high mortality. And an evolution of that process is now, instead of taking your immune system to recognize and fight my cancer, is taking my own immune cells and engineer them to make them recognize the cancer. But really, I mean, there were several incremental steps through that that led to where we are today, from bone marrow transplant to figuring out how to take the immune cells, how to grow the immune cells, how to engineer the immune cells, how to give the immune cells back. You know, we think of this as a relatively new treatment, but it's been around for quite a while. Yes, that is true, especially with the bone marrow transplant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of your work. You're, you're a hematologist and you've worked with chimeric antigen receptor T-cell immunotherapy. Describe what that is. Yeah. So chimeric antigen receptor T-cell therapy or CAR T-cell therapy is basically engineered immune therapy. So to generate CAR T cells is we take immune cells from the patient through a process as apheresis, similar to the blood donation. And then we send the immune cells to the lab and the immune cells will stay in the lab in a period of seven to 10, 14 days. And during this period of time, we stimulate the immune cells, make them grow, faster and grow into a larger number of cells. And also we engineer them with a virus, an inactivated HIV virus, an antivirus vector, to make them express an antibody that targets the cancer cells. And and, in other words, we engineer them to make them recognize cancer cells. So at the end of seven, 10, 14 days, depending on the protocols we're using, you have the immune cells that have expanded by several, several folds. They have increased in number. Because of the stimulation, they are supercharged and ready to act. And because of the engineering, now they go and find cancer cells. We put an antibody on them to recognize antigens on cancer cells. So which hematologic malignancy are you treating primarily with this treatment? Yeah, so this treatment has been mostly successful in B-cell malignancies. And that includes acute lymphoblastic leukemia, um, lymphoma, B-cell lymphoma, 
and uh, multiple um, myeloma. It's currently FDA approved for lymphoma and for acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and it's expected to receive FDA approval for uh, multiple myeloma um, soon, as well as other hematological, other B-cell malignancies specifically. It's successful for B-cell malignancies because there is a good target on the cancer cells that we can engineer the cells to recognize, that is CD19. And that's why the more successful CAR T-cell is directed against CD19, and it's called CAR19. What kind of success can patients expect? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very good question. It varies a bit based on the cancers. But in general, so these are patients that have heavily pretreated disease, that have relapsed refractory disease, that have no other treatment options, have, have exhausted all the available treatment options. And we give them only one infusion of this drug. This is a living therapy, if you like. So as they go into the body, they populate and they increase in number and by several, several folds, by thousands of folds. And then they persist after that, after they, they get rid of the cancer cells. So patients only get one infusion of that. And these patients with heavily pretreated um, cancer, after one um, infusion, anywhere between 60 and in some cases, 90% of patients go into complete remission. And is that remission longstanding? Is it, is it permanent? That's what's exciting. That's what we're seeing is we're seeing a good percentage of these patients go into a long-term remission, highlighting that this therapy is a potentially um, curative therapy. You know, for example, the very first patient that received therapy in 2010 continues to be in remission today. For example, in pediatric patients with acute lymphoblastic leukemia that relapse and typically don't have any other options, after receiving one infusion of this therapy, about 50 to 60% of patients go into long-term remission, some of them now five, six, seven years out. You know, obviously the therapy is new. This CAR T-cell therapy, it was FDA approved in 2017, the first product. So we don't have long-term follow-up. But from the clinical trials, we're seeing long-term remissions um, for a number of years, um, which is quite exciting in the field of immune therapy. So why not start with this treatment? Why use the traditional treatments first and then the immunotherapy? Yeah, it's a very good question. So, you know, as you know, it's a new therapy. It's first in a human and as it goes through clinical trials, you need to start with patients that in phase one clinical trials, we have to start with patients that do not have any um, other options. Now that therapy is effective, for example, in lymphoma, now there are clinical trials testing it as a second line therapy mm -hmm. compared to the standard of care to move it up in the schema in the of treatment. Um, there are a few randomized trials um, that are ongoing and you know, we hope to learn from this clinic, from these clinical trials in the next year or two, and it's possible that we'll be able to move it up in the in the treatment schema of patients. Mm -hmm. Even there are some clinical trials looking at that at um, as first line therapy, um, and and again, it's possible that high risk patients would benefit from that in the first line therapy. It's hard to tell at this time. You know, waiting for clinical trials. Sure. Well, you work in hematologic malignancy. How about other malignancies? Is, is this been effective in solid tumors? The activity in solid tumors has not been as remarkable. 
what we see in solid tumors is that sometimes the tumor shrink a little bit, we get partial response. Sometimes the tumor stays stable, but we're learning. There are challenging challenges with solid tumor. You know, one challenge is that there is not a good target for solid tumor compared to the hematological malignancy. But even in some solid tumors where there is good target, what we are learning, these are living cells, right? They go and get into the solid tumor. And what we are learning is that when we take the solid tumors, we find the CAR-Ts there, but they are inhibited, they are suppressed. And it's likely the complexity of the solid tumor and the microenvironment of the solid tumor are able to inhibit CAR-T. There are now new generations of CAR-Ts that are further engineered to overcome this inhibition. And these are getting into clinical trial. And I expect that in solid tumors, we need to engineer it further to make it more resistant to inhibition. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll be seeing these in the, we're already seeing these in the clinical trial. Hopefully we'll see increased activity. There are still some reports here and there in solid tumor. For example, there were reports of a brain tumor um, that's highly aggressive where patients treated with CAR T and went into complete remission. It's true that it was a transit complete remission, but yet um, it's an encouraging signal that they could work for um, solid tumor as well. Well, we know that the adverse effects of some of the traditional treatments, especially chemotherapy, can, can be quite harsh. What are some of the adverse effects of uh, regenerative immunotherapy? The CAR T cell therapy, as they are as we infuse them into um, patients. As I mentioned earlier, what they do is, because it's a living therapy, um, they find cancer cells, and as they find cancer cells, they divide and expand in number by thousands of folds. And during this period of time, patients can get sick, can get sick with fevers, with low blood pressure. Sometimes they have respiratory distress there in the intensive care unit transiently. And it's a result that the CAR T cells are actually fighting the tumor. Luckily, we identified early on a protein, a cytokine that is IL-6, that the CAR T cells trigger the immune system to make. And that plays a role in this, in the development of this fever that we call this cytokine release syndrome. And what we've used is that, what we've seen is that when we use this, um, an antibody to block IL-6, we're able to control cytokine release syndrome. I mean, another toxicity is, um, it's a, a peculiar neurotoxicity that happens with CAR T cells. You know, patients can get confused, they can get aphasic, they can lose the ability to, to speak, occasionally can have seizures. Seizures are less likely these days. Usually it's a transient, it's reversible, it's a scary situation uh, for us and for patients. We don't quite understand it. We're getting to understand it now. Perhaps the monocytes play a role and the myeloid cells play a role, um, but we don't have treatment for that. There are several investigational therapies in clinical trial and and we hope to have some treatment for that um, in the future. In most cases, it's been um, reversible, but mm -hmm. it's something that patients have to go through. In most cases, the side effects of CAR T cell therapy are resolved um, the first two weeks. During that period of time, patients are you know, monitored closely or admitted in the hospital as needed. So are these treatments in general pretty well tolerated or... In general, it's pretty well tolerated. Yes. Okay. Yeah, compared to the side effects that we get with bone marrow transplant, is mm -hmm. 
is much um, lower than that. And I think as as we're treating more and more, um, we're able to, you know, we're learning how to deal with the side effects, how to prevent it, how to preemptively treat it. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time we administer at Mayo the treatments as an outpatient and, and patients, if they are monitored daily or twice daily as needed, and, and then they get admitted if they develop any of the toxicities. Sure. Okay. So once you've identified a patient who you feel has potential to have good results from regenerative immunotherapy, what do you tell them? How, how do you counsel them and what they're about to go through? I think it's important for patients to understand um, options. Most of the uh, patients have progressed through the a few lines of therapy at that time. And I think a, a patients need to understand that therapy, that these are engineered cells, taking their own cells, um, engineering that and, and infusing the cells back to them and the risks of the of the toxicities including cytokine release syndrome and the neurotoxicity being the two main um, toxicities i think that rates of mortality related to these toxicities quite rare i usually quote less than five percent to patient and the intense period of treatment is the first four weeks after therapy that's when patients that come to Mayo need to stay here locally in Rochester where they are being seen daily or every other day, especially the first two weeks. And that's when we expect these toxicities. Also, it's important to know that because they are engineered cells, they can persist in the body for a long time. Um, so there are patients that where the CAR T cells have persisted six, seven, eight years, some of the first patients that were treated on clinical trials. And during that time, we need to continue to follow them. You know, in fact, the FDA requires 15 years of, um, of follow-up because of the engineered cell therapy. Now, you, you touched on this topic just a little while ago, but what are the difficulties or challenges you face with this therapy for our patients? Yeah, it's a, 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 it's a really um, important point. I think in our mind and in our group, um, we, we group this into there are three different categories. There are the toxicities of the therapy that I think we're getting better, but we need to continue to improve on, especially with the neurotoxicity. The second one is that the efficacy of the therapy. Um, so for example, in lymphoma, there is about 30% of patients that have long-term remission. And how can we improve on that instead of 30%? How can we go 60, 70, 80% all patients that go into long-term remission? And how do we improve the therapy in solid tumors? Um, and you know there are multiple strategies that are being investigated. And then the third one is, is really access to this therapy. Right now, the therapy is quite complicated. Um, you take your own cells. Right now, it's FDA approved, right? So it's centralized at manufacturing um, plants run by pharmaceutical companies. So you take the cells, you send it to the pharmaceutical companies, and it takes about a three to four weeks and then send it back. And most of our patients are patients with malignancies where this most of many of them cannot wait three to four weeks to receive therapy. Also because of all of the complexity that's involved, there's a labor and the therapy is expensive. I think as we see, we'll see the next generation of this therapy um, that potentially can be off the shelf, right? I mean, it could be a pool of donors that we make CAR T's and it's off the shelf and we just use it for our, mm -hmm. um, our patients um, or simplifying the process of making CAR T's to increase access to patients. 
So where do you see this going? What, what's the future of regenerative immunotherapy? I think the field is just starting. There's so many potential applications for this therapy. So we, we touched on hematological malignancy. I think we'll be approved in several more hematological malignancies in the next two, three years. Touched on solid tumors. I think we need a next iteration of this therapy to be approved to, to work in solid tumor in next generation. And in addition to that, I think this therapy has the potential to be applied for autoimmune diseases, um, similarly attacking the immune, the hyperactive immune cells or using suppressive T cells to help with autoimmune diseases. And we're seeing some of that entering into clinical trials. As well as infectious diseases, we're seeing some of these CAR T cells for refractory HIV. There are um, refractory fungal infections where CAR T cells are being, you know, it's the power of the immune system, um, right? So, I mean, we're trying to harness that to, to cancer, but that could be harnessed for autoimmune diseases as well as um, infection. And I think with the advances in the genome engineering tools, such as CRISPR, Talens, will be easier and easier to further engineer CAR T cells and make them stronger, make them more resistant. That is really exciting information. Let's conclude by asking you to maybe give our listeners two or three key points of importance regarding regenerative immunotherapy. Now, one important take-home message is that with immune therapy, we are seeing long-term remission, suggesting that this therapy is potentially um, curative. I think we are entering an era of engineered um, immune therapy, regenerative immune therapy, where we are going to make incremental increases on our understanding and development of new therapies that are effective for cancer. And I think we all have work to do to improve on this and increase access to, uh, to our patients. Well, we've been discussing regenerative immunotherapy with Dr. Saad Kandarian, a hematologist at the Mayo Clinic. Saad, thank you so much for sharing this information with us. It's just really exciting stuff to hear, and the future for some of these terrible malignancies sounds pretty bright, really. Thank you. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week. Bye.